You ever been, uh, you ever been ambushed by God? I mean that figuratively and literally, in the sense that God said, there's no one that chases after me. I, I pursue you. In the 1980s, I was um, a young punk who thought he knew everything. And I was out working in Arizona, living in the Sonora Desert. I was supposed to launch um, a ministry called Youth Haven Ranch, Arizona. So I'm living out there in the mid-1980s, and I'm in my early 20s. And uh, there were like 70 volunteers on the campus there. And these were guys, many of them who were retired executives, captains of industry, who had taken early retirement so they could go serve God and um, RV units and working at places like Youth Haven. And I was way over my head. I really didn't know what I was doing. And there was one particular week when I was just exhausted, trying to do things under my own power, my own strength. And my wife and I drove all the way into Tucson to go to church. Uh, Casa Sedobis. And unsuspectingly, I walked in and sat down like many of you are. And the worship leader gets up and starts playing a song that we don't use much anymore in church. Um, but it's based on the book of Psalms. My soul pants after you, O God, as the deer pants for the water. Soul, my soul, pants after you. Violin kicked in and started playing. And at that moment, I was ambushed by God. I was like, oh man, God, my soul isn't panting after you. I'm trying to do this on my own, under my own strength. Fast forward about 15 years. I'm at a Promise Keepers event down in Indiana. 70,000 guys. They're at the Hoosier Dome. And unsuspectingly, I walk into a Saturday morning event and without any talking, worship leader gets up and begins to play. Holy, holy, holy. And I came into that event not thinking too much about God's holiness, but thinking about, I don't really want to be here. I don't need to go to one more Christian event. And... Holy, holy, holy unfolds. And I found myself literally falling to my knees in that auditorium. Sometimes worship can take you to places you don't normally go on your own. Thank you, worship team, for doing that. That is what happens when we really yield our heart to God and say, we come in here totally unexpecting what God's going to do, and then he unfolds something like this in the midst of worship. To the point where we're actually writing down our hurts and our anger and our frustrations. I've got to take you to Genesis chapter 20 this morning. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question because this is a really short chapter. And I just want you to get this in the back of your head. As we go through this chapter, I'm going to ask you this question. How do you get to the point when you have to make a major life decision... You're facing some consequences that are huge that you don't lean into your own wisdom, your own ability, but rather it's second nature for you to lean into God. We're told in Proverbs 3.5, this is how we're supposed to do it. 
This is the verse I was taught when I was a child. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I never really got satisfaction out of that verse when I was a kid. It just didn't mean a whole lot to me. In recent weeks, I've gone and looked at that verse really closely because I'm aware that each of us, each week, every one of you, whether child or adult, are making life decisions each week as you move along. And this foundation stuff that we're working on, learning the nature and character of God, it's to help you understand what is that next step I'm supposed to take. So God really impressed this verse upon me again this week. And I looked closely at that word trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here's the Hebrew for it. Batak. And when we get the definition for it, it still doesn't help a whole lot because what it says is to hide or to be confident or to be bold. But here's the way it's used in the midst of this verse in this context. When shepherds were out in the field and a lightning storm came flying through the area and they had to hide, they had to go into a cave for shelter. They had to batak. They had to duck under what they trusted to hide them in the midst of the storm. They batalked in the Lord. They trusted in the Lord. And secondly, do not lean on your own understanding. Now from that, we would know that word to be binah, wisdom, knowledge, our own experience. Don't lean into our own experience, which is what I was trying to do in Arizona when I was trying to lead that group of volunteers. I was trying to lean on my own wisdom. I was 24. I had no wisdom. Sorry, 24-year-olds. No insult intended. And you guys aren't going to come next week now. <laughs> in the midst of that time in Arizona, I had to ask myself this question. What sets apart a special breed of men and women who have the capacity to always lean into God no matter what the circumstances are? When you stop trusting in God's word, you start leaning on man's wisdom. That's the reverse of that verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't trust in the Lord with all your heart, you're going to start leaning into your own ability, your own wisdom. This is the way Paul wrote it when he wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3.18 Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish. That word foolish, moron, morose is the word. Really, he means empty yourself of all that you know. He must become morose. He must become foolish so that he may become wise, wise in the things of God. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. This passage that's coming up, I almost wish wasn't in Scripture because it, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that a man of God who's walked with God for almost 30 years does what he's about to do that you're going to find in Genesis chapter 20. One of the unique things about the Bible, whether you're new to it or not, you're going to discover that God does not cookie-cut paint right over the top of his saints and make them all look perfect. Many other world religions try and elevate those who establish those world religions as being perfect on earth. The Bible does not do that. It takes the heroes of the faith and shows them for what they are. And that's what you're going to see. We're going to see the truth about who Abram really was. 
Genesis chapter 20 and verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and saddled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abram said of, his, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Last week, when we last saw Abraham, he's up on the precipice of this hill, looking down into the valley and seeing the smoke of Sodom and Gomorrah billow up. Now he turns and he moves a hundred miles away. He's lived here for 20 years, and now he's going to move a hundred miles away. I think what happened in the Sodom and Gomorrah story was so devastating. He had argued on behalf of those people, trying to rescue them. That was a great reminder for him when he saw that smoke coming up. You walk away from God, God will deal with you. In this context, he moves a hundred miles away down to the border of Egypt, and he finds himself in foreign territory. He's right on the border, and he's 30 miles from the palace of the king. And the king, Abimelech, when you see that name occur in Scripture, Abimelech is actually a title. It just means the king or the ruler. It's not his real name. As a matter of fact, we understand that the name Abimelech actually means no higher authority than man. So when Abraham hears that title as being the title of the king, the king of the land, it's natural for him to think, God's not present in this place. Now, let's look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream, in a dream of the night, and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now remember, Sarah is 90 years old. If you're the king and you can have any woman in the entire realm of the country, think about it. Now, how beautiful was this woman? Pretty beautiful. Scripture says, no more beautiful woman on the face of the earth. She was gorgeous, but she's 90. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. King's in his pajamas. King's laying in bed. God shows up and says, I'm going to kill you if you don't return this woman. God says, this prophet will pray for you. I want you, if you don't mind doing this, circle the word prophet in your Bible. There's two forms of prophets in Scripture. There's prophets who look forward in time, whom God gave special visions to, understanding. And then there's the prophet Nain. The prophet Nain, N-A-I-N, is a prophet who speaks on behalf of others. Do you know that you serve in that same capacity when you pray for other people? 
when you're in intercessionary prayer, you're serving the role as a prophet, a nain, someone who speaks to God on behalf of others. And that's what you see unfolding here. After this really rough night, he's heard God. Immediately, the king wakes up. And this is what he does in verse 8. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. Remember this word that we've used over the last couple of weeks that I've been trying to teach you, the Hebrew word, yare, meaning awesome, fearful, yare. If you write in your Bible right next to that word, frightened, yare. That's another appearance of that word. And it means consumed with fear. Fear of what God is about to do. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Did the king take God seriously? He didn't think this was a bad piece of pizza. You get that straight in your head? This was one of those moments when God woke somebody up during the middle of the night and said, I want you to deal with this issue. And he didn't wake up the next morning saying, man, I should not have eaten that. This is taking seriously the things God said. And sure enough, when he follows up with Abraham, he finds out the real story, what's really going on. How humiliated was Abraham at this point? Have you ever been chastised or rebuked by a non-Christian, a non-believer in God? Have you ever had a co-worker or a friend or a family member say to you, you did that? I thought you were a Christian. Whoa. No, those are deep wounds. And Abraham is the guy who's been following God all these years, and this Philistine king has to rebuke him. Verse 11. Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear, Yahweh, because I thought there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, and then you get this whining complaint. She actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife, and it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is their craftiness, their excuse. This is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Abraham is determined to justify his actions. I think it is really important that you take that first sentence in verse 11 and underline it. Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place. Every place you go, every work environment you encounter, every school you walk into, you cannot be in a position where you're saying, there's no fear of God in this place, so I'm going to change my story. I'm going to do what I need to to blend in. I'm going to fit in with the crowd. This is a really, really dangerous thing that Abraham did. 23 years walking with God. Think about this man seeing God appear and establishing a covenant with him. Appearing before him and saying, 
I am about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they turned my back on me. They're back on me. This is the same guy who argued with God for the salvation of those people. And now he's afraid that there's no fear of God. Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God. We're skipping all the way down because now this is what Abimelech does in response. He gives a huge offering when he hears the excuse. He gives sheep and animals. He gives over gifts, trying to vindicate himself. Verse 17, Abraham did pray to God. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. At this point, we discover what God had said to him. I'm going to cut your line off from existence on earth. God closed up the wombs of all of his household. He understood that he would no longer exist. There would be no more offspring. Why did Abraham sin? Why, after 23 years, did Abraham fail like this? Paul said it this way. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do, the things that I know that I should do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do do? You can read that later for yourself in Romans chapter 7. But he went through this mental argument. Why do we do these things in which we fall into this position and say, there's no fear of God in this place, so I'm going to change my story. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to do what I think is safe. Here's why. Even though God changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, even though God said, you are justified by your faith, Abraham never became sinless. He still is a sinner redeemed by God, just like each of us. And that's the reality that he's dealing with. He's still a man struggling, trying to find his path to do things right. John said it this way, 1 John 1.8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There's a man in Russia right now. His name is Sergei Terov. He lives in Siberia. You may have seen this on ABC News two weeks ago. He claims to be Jesus Christ reincarnated. Okay? 35 years old, former Russian police officer moved into the outer realms of Siberia, established a village 10 years ago when he had a, quote-unquote, revelation. God told him that he's now Jesus Christ. Come back again. Here's the sad thing. There's 10,000 people living there with him who believe he is Jesus Christ. And all they want to do is touch him and embrace him. Here's the truth. Sergei Terov is a sinner. There's no sin in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came, to redeem the sinners. You can't have sin in you and be the redeemer of the world. That's what we're confronted with here when we look at a great man of God. We're talking caliber D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, William Tyndale, Luther, Martin Luther, Abraham, these are the saints of God. And yet, they made these kind of mistakes. It only took a few seconds for
for Abraham to spit those words out and tell a lie. But the repercussions were huge. Here's what it cost Abraham. First of all, it cost him his character. God's in the business of taking us and redeeming us and trying to make us more like Jesus Christ. Not just redeeming us to bring us to heaven, but so that we would represent Christ here on earth. It cost him this. He moved from confidence to fear. A man who had walked with God, who had seen God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, who spent the evening with God as God brought fire down and established a covenant with him, and now you see him hiding behind his wife's skirt. She's my sister. (laughs) Leave me alone. Don't touch me. Abraham also almost lost Isaac and Zerah. In this time, in this day and age, a king could take a woman who was single and bring him into his household. Now that she's there, if God had not intervened and saved his plan for the nation of Israel, Abraham would have messed up God's plan here on earth. I've had this question asked of me over the years. It's a question I've struggled with this week. I was asked this way back in 1984 by Maury Carlson, who founded Youth Haven, before he sent me to Arizona. I was part of a dinner conversation. I was at a, question, at a conversation at a table with Bill Bright, with Maury Carlson, with Billy Graham, with Billy Graham's brother-in-law, Leighton Ford. These guys are sitting around the table, and they're looking at each other, and they said to each other, where are the D.L. Moody's of this day? Where are the William Tyndale's of this day? I'm sitting at the table, 24 years old, looking at these guys and thinking, yeah, they're right here, right in front of me. Here's where they're at of this day, in 2008. They're right here in this room, in embryo form. As you continue to develop and walk with God, You have the opportunity to respond to these God situations in which God ambushes you and throws you a curveball. It's totally unexpected. You didn't see it coming. And how you respond to it determines whether or not you will measure up to the greatness God has called you to. There's only two things that determine whether or not we'll measure up to the greatness of these individuals that we've referred to. First of all, God's sovereign will. If he chooses to place you in that role. And secondly how you respond to it when he does. If God calls you to these events, these opportunities to defend him, to represent him well, ask yourself this question this week. The next time you walk into an environment and you determine there's no fear of God in this place, how are you going to respond? Blending in, making sure it's safe, or saying right up front, I resolve to walk as God would have me to walk, whether there's fear of God in this place or not. Here's the second half to the verse as we wrap this up from the very first verse I gave you today when we started, from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But talk in the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Second half is really important. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Who did, in ancient times, they make a path straight for? 
those who were the rulers, the royalty, the servants of the king, went ahead of the kings and spread stones off the path so when their chariot went through, it wouldn't hit a stone and bounce and bump. That was called making the path straight so that the chariot didn't have to wheel around. God's saying, if you will acknowledge me in all your ways, you're going to be succeeding You're going to be acknowledged. I'm acknowledging you as one who is really successful. Maybe not as the world measures success. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, your own wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You pray with me? Father, this time's gone really fast, and we're about to step back right into the world again. We've been in an environment where we were free to sing about you boldly. We were free to write down our hurts, the things that wound us, the things we're struggling with. We've been free to bow our heads comfortably in prayer. Some of us would admit, Father, that's even a struggle to do in a restaurant. And God, we've been free to learn about you and your nature and your character by looking at your word. But now we're about to step back into a place where it appears there is no fear of you. Father, give us confidence. Let us walk boldly before you. I pray that for the children in this room, for the students in this room, God, for the men and women who face this kind of fear of God being absent from society every single hour of every single day. Make us as bright, shining lights for you, Father. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have an excellent, excellent week.